I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. So we're trying out a new sound method for uh, our streaming, so I hope I'm coming in clear for everyone. Uh, let me know in the chat if there's any sound problems. So I'm going to start today's talk with a sutta that I came across recently that I found interesting because it actually starts out with two monks arguing. Now in this sutta, these monks, we don't really know what they're quarreling about. That's not really the issue or the concern. It could very well be that in various commentaries there's some discussion about what it was that they were arguing about, what they were quarreling about. But in the sutta itself, they don't really say. But we do know that as these two monks are quarreling with each other, they're surrounded by other monks who are listening in. And one of the monks commits some type of transgression, some type of offense. And realizing this, he, he pauses in this quarrel, this debate, this argument. And in front of the person he had offended, and in front of the monks around him, he admitted to his transgression. The monk who had been transgressed upon, who had been the receiver of this action, does not pardon the monk for his transgression. And this the monks surrounding them, watching the scene, they react strongly to this, going, oh, no, 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 this, this isn't appropriate. And so they go to the Buddha. And the Buddha listens, listens in on this, on what they have to say on this matter. And then he says, well, you know, monks, that there are these two kinds of fools. There's one kind that doesn't see his or her transgression as a transgression. And then there's the other fool that doesn't rightly pardon someone who has admitted a transgression. And then he says, there are these two kinds of wise people. One who sees his or her transgression as a transgression, and one who rightly pardons one who admits to a transgression. So the Pali term for transgression, acheya, can mean something very light to something pretty severe. When we translate it, it can also have the sense of a, a lapse or, um, or being at fault. So it can really mean any manner of wrongdoing. And within the, the monk's codes, there are those things that are an offense to the point, a transgression to the point where the monk uh, simply confesses to, to the issue with the intent to not repeat it, and then everything is well and the harmonious uh, society uh, can continue. Other things are so big, a transgression, that uh, a monk or a nun will then be uh, asked to disrobe. Now, it seems like this particular issue was the kind that was uh, a small offense. 
And we can imagine that in the course of, of an argument that gets very heated, we can imagine what kind of offense that might be, you know? In the heat of the moment, as we feel very quarrelsome with someone, we might say something that uh, we don't mean, or we say something cruel in some kind of defense, or we might uh, get so heated that maybe we shove the other person, something like that. You watch this with children all the time, and then also some adults who act like children who will also, in the heat of the moment, shove another person, something like that. We can imagine something along those lines, something that once this monk had realized he'd done something wrong, could actually then admit his wrongdoing and then move on from there, try to, uh, to learn from his mistakes. And it seems like the emphasis on this sutta is not actually on the person who had done this transgression and then recognized they had done it and then admitted it. It seems like more of the emphasis is on the person who, seeing this person admit their wrongdoing, admit their mistake, not having the ability to pardon them. And so what we see here is someone giving into anger and resentment and holding some kind of grudge. Or at the very least coming to some definitive conclusion about a person. And so it's really that, that sense of it that, that I'm, I've been exploring as I've been reading the sutta and thinking about it. Thinking, uh, first looking at, at myself. And we can think of this in terms of how we ourselves relate to the path that we're practicing, the type of people we're trying to be, the type of qualities we're trying to cultivate. And we can see for ourselves the times that we've done something that would be considered a transgression, something that is uh, our fault or something that where we've had a lapse, a lapse in our judgment, a lapse in our, our wisdom, a lapse in our virtues, some sense that we've made a mistake. And we can see how some of us, myself included, can make a mistake and then not want to own up to it, not want to admit to it. And there can be a lot of reasons why that could be. There could be that sense of just wanting to protect oneself. There could be that sense of embarrassment. There could be that sense of self that we've built up around to this character that we have that, oh, I wouldn't do such a thing. And yet, we could very much absolutely do that. As someone who's been practicing Buddhism for the majority of my life, I always cared about skillful speech. I always cared about not only telling the truth, but not using any harsh or divisive speech or uh, participating in any idle chatter, any kind of gossiping. And this was something that I thought that I was doing quite well for, for a long time. And I remember that this was pointed out to me years ago that this might not be the case. Years ago, I was celebrating my, my birthday and I wanted to bring some friends together. And I happened to be dating this woman who hadn't met my friends before. And I remember being so excited at the thought of, oh, she finally gets to meet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And she had known me in isolation, where both of us were very spiritually inclined and we were very used to discussing a lot of real heady and philosophical things, but also just uh, sharing our, our love of the spiritual and whatnot. And we, we go to this dinner and then she's a bit shocked at what she sees with me and my, and my friends, where the conversation tended to revolve around what we thought of other people, people who weren't there. 
and making kinds of remarks and, and statements and, and, and making jokes and getting quite petty and tending to go over old grievances and bringing them up again and again and again throughout the course of the conversation and things that clearly we had been talking about several times before. This was not the first time. And I remember afterwards, at, you know, after this dinner, getting into the car with this, this woman I was dating and asking her, like, well, like, what'd you think of, of my friends? And she had some uh, real honest things to say about me more than my friends. Like, do you know the way you were talking really surprised me? I said, really? And then we talked about it and she, she uh, really laid it out, like, this is, this is how you were acting. And in a kind way, she was pointing out my hypocrisy in that moment. That here I was this person following the Eightfold Path, following the five precepts, trying to maintain skillful speech, and here I was doing it sometimes and not doing it other times. Basically being inconsistent with my application of these precepts and the path I'm trying to cultivate. And I admit that at the time I was extremely embarrassed and it was the kind of thing where rather than admitting to it and going, you know what, you're right. I was acting like this and I was participating that way and I was saying those things. Instead, I got defensive. And I ended up uh, being mad at, at this woman for pointing out how I'd been around my friends. Now, the relationship ended up not working out for uh, lots of other reasons, but that conversation stuck with me as, as uh, a lesson to learn from. And over time, as I've continued to cultivate, I return to that conversation each time I revisit that memory with more and more humility, recognizing that I was absolutely at fault and this person who was in my life for only a short time had a very good point about my conduct. So it's important for us to recognize that in this path we're developing, in, in, in this path that we're cultivating, we don't come into it uh, perfect. We don't come into it not making mistakes. And uh, even as we continue on the path, uh, we will keep making mistakes. And that isn't a sign of, of a, a real failing or wrong. It's more a sign that there's more work to be done, more cultivation that should happen, uh, various ways that we can bring more awareness to our actions and also more um, compassion, humility, and so on to what we do. The other side of this is not only just in terms of my own sense of wrongdoing, but also in the sense of my criticalness of, of others. Because it wasn't so much that the things I, were, I was saying about these various people during the conversation were uh, false. It was just not a good time to say it, not a good way to say it, and the criticisms I think I was weighing in too much on. Rather than seeing the actions as something perhaps unskillful in what I'd seen in others, they became marks of someone's character. I had this real sense when I was younger that I could get the measure of someone based off of very little information, which is really just jumping to conclusions. And if someone in my eyes had done something really stupid or unwise or, or cruel, um, even just one time, if they had been mean or petty in any way, I, I would write them off entirely, up to my own measure, the way I had seen it. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of um, 
the character uh, Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. There's this one line of his in the book and also in the adaptations, I think in most of them, that was something that when I had heard it as a young person, I was like, yeah, he's got a point. Uh, but not recognizing that, well, the whole point of Pride and Prejudice is we're looking at people with lots of pride and prejudice. And perhaps the things they're saying are actually not that wise. And so what Mr. Darcy says in this one part of the story, he says that he has uh, trouble um, forgetting the, the follies and vices of others, as well as any offenses others had done to him, to himself. And then he concludes that uh, my good opinion once lost is lost forever. And that was something that when I was in my teens and 20s, I thought like, yeah, that's, that's the right way to treat people. Like if, someone, if someone's uh, just unwise once or, or mean once or, or petty once, then forget them, good riddance, cast them aside. Not recognizing that each and every one of us is prone to some sense of folly. Uh, is certainly starting out in, in any path like this, some sense of vice. And there are, if we really investigate and look at ourselves and our own conduct, we can see times when we have done someone else uh, wrong, intentionally or unintentionally, and, and owning up to that. Like it's, it's important to, to see that that's, that's a part of, of improvement, is recognizing those failings in the first place. So, thinking on that line from Mr. Darcy and why it appealed to me, I think that in, in many ways I had been acculturated from a, a young age to think on these, on these issues, think on others in that way. That from a very young age I had been taught to be highly critical of myself that I had been uh, put in the position many times to uh, be judged harshly by the adults around me for anything I had said. And if I made a, a wrong statement, it would be jumped on immediately. If I had forgotten something in carelessness, it would be jumped on, immediately commented on, and I'd be ridiculed a lot of the time. And I think in many ways, like many people, I had uh, internalized all that. And so I became a very harsh critic of myself for a very long time. And I think that, in turn, I became a harsh critic of others. And then, above and beyond that, being a harsh critic of, of others allowed me to have some sense of uh, superiority and feeling much better about myself by pushing others down. Now, I could easily say that those things had not happened, and I could never have been such a person. I could easily create some kind of narrative that I've always been perfect in my conduct from a young age. But I'd be lying to myself and I'd be lying to others if that were true. It's a much better mark of someone cultivating on this path, a much better measure of their integrity to be able to admit when they've been wrong. And so that's why the Buddha points out the importance of recognizing one's 
uh, transgressions, even to oneself. You know, not 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 all of us are ordained monks that have a community where we have rules, where we have these kind of confessions that happen over you know small minor rules and then also more serious ones. Many of us who are practicing this path are practicing practicing this on our own in our lives amidst a lot of other people who are not practicing this path, who are not endeavoring to cultivate these type of qualities in themselves. So there's really only us, ourselves, to judge. And it's a fine balance walking on that razor's edge of knowing how to judge rightly without criticizing ourselves. To take the measure of our conduct and recognize when when that conduct is not skillful and endeavor to be more skillful in the future without then making some statement on ourselves as people. To not decide that we are this kind of person for having done such and such thing, but to recognize that we have this opportunity to to grow and change by virtue of even recognizing in the first place and having that intention to be different. It's important, I think, for, for many of us in the West to have a more robust sense of what uh, kamma or karma actually is. There's this sense that what we are in this moment is dictated solely by the karma of our past, our past actions, our past intentions. And that's the, the full measure of where we are right now, who we are right now, what we can expect for ourselves, and so on. And that leaves out this this huge swath of the picture, which says that karma is, yes, what we've done in the past, but it's also what we're doing in the present. And our present conditions are shaped by the past, but also by this very moment. What our intentions and what our actions are right now. What our words are, what our thoughts are, what our our bodily actions are right now. That that also shapes the present moment as well as the future that that is the the true mixture of karma as it acts in our lives. It's not something in the past that only affects the the present. It's not something in the present that only affects the future. But rather, this ongoing process where the past is affecting the present, but the present, in terms of our actions, is also affecting this very moment as well as the future. What that means in practice is that we have the ability to change. We have the ability to grow. The very fact that karma works this way is what makes liberation possible. And before liberation, the the working on these qualities, working on qualities like goodwill and compassion and empathetic joy and equanimity, working on these path factors that we have in terms of our action, in terms of of our effort, our mindfulness, our concentration, our livelihood, views, resolves, all of that, we can see how the, the, the ability to change is based in how karma works. That what we do from this moment onward is highly impactful. And not just this moment, but the moment that follows and follows and follows and follows. And in that process, we'll find fault in ourselves. We will find mistakes in ourselves. We will find offense and transgression. And it's what we do in response to that that is the the important part. 
Of course, not doing those things in the first place would be ideal. When we talk about skillful right effort, we see that we have these unskillful qualities that, ha that have arisen. We try to abandon them. And then we also try to make sure that no unskillful qualities, no unskillful mental states arise again in the future. And then we do the same thing with what's skillful. What, what, what is already skillful in us, we attempt to maintain. We attempt to strengthen and bolster. And then we also try to make the ground ready for more qualities like that to spring up in the future. That's skillful right effort. But that's recognizing that we already have some level of unskillfulness right here. And that unskillfulness could still be there in the future. Right effort means having that sense of, of energy, that sense of, of drive, a wholesome desire to see those things and undo all of that to the best of our ability. And to recognize that ability is something that changes over time. We're not perfect right away at working with, with these defilements, working with these hindrances. Some things are easier for us to put aside than others. Some things are a struggle for us, something that we continue to work on repeatedly as time goes on. Something that tends to feel cyclical, and so we have to keep investigating and trying to understand where it's coming from, what the source is. Because, you know, we can say quite easily that, oh, well, you know, the source of all this suffering is greed, aversion, delusion, and just leave it at that as a, as a, a pat phrase that we have memorized that we can repeat uh, on demand when called for. But that doesn't really do the, the job of investigating, of looking within ourselves and seeing why. I find it useful for myself to remember how much of this path is phenomenological. In that, I mean that so much of this path is looking inside ourselves and having this inner conversation that no one else gets to be a part of. We do have teachers, we do have friends, we do have uh, companions on this path as, as Kalyanamita, and they are an integral, important part of the path. But even so much as we have people on this path with us, we are still, in many respects on this path, an island unto ourselves, in that we're the ones that have to do the work within us. We have to look inside and have that sense of honesty. And it can be hard to, to be honest with ourselves about our failings. Um, I know that for much of my life it was, it was a struggle in different forms, lesser and greater degrees. Uh, there are issues that still come up for me now as someone developing on the path. And in each of those cases it takes honesty to see that, admit that failing, and want to, want to improve, want to keep developing. And then it takes other path factors like goodwill to do that in a way that feels good, that doesn't feel uh, shameful or shaming, that doesn't feel critical or, or harsh. Because we're not in the business of beating ourselves up about our mistakes. We're not in the business of continuing to think on the past and think about the things we've done wrong and continue to relive them and relive them and relive them because then we're creating different worlds in ourselves that are also a problem. We're participating in a kind of suffering, a kind of stress again and again through virtue of reliving these, these wrongs, these failings, these harms, these things that we've done that give us any sense of, of guilt or shame.
what we want to do instead is to be able to see the mistakes as mistakes, to see the failings as failings, to, to see them perhaps not even as failings or mistakes, but more as opportunities for growth. Sometimes you have to do something uh, the wrong way to recognize how to do it the right way. And other things, you're able to see that by virtue of just looking at others. And so that's one of the odd things in that, you know, um, in the West we have this, this phrase, you know, judge not lest ye be judged, or some different version of that. And I think that for many of us, being sensitive to that phrase have, have taken that on to such a point where we treat everything in this very sort of gray, amoral sense, where we never want to look at others and go like, well, that was wrong. Or if we do, we end up taking some kind of weird delight in that, like the wrongdoing of others, and we like to, to share that and spread that around. There's some sense of, of enjoying the misery of others. We don't want any of that either. What we want to be able to do is look at our own conduct and look at the conduct of others as examples. Examples of what not to do in some cases, or examples of what to do. A lot of the time what we're doing is working on habits and practices. We are in this process of developing and cultivating, in a real sense, training ourselves to be different. Different than we've been in the past. Different than the culture that surrounds us. And we can look at that culture around us and not judge it harshly, but judge it with a sense of, of real goodwill for ourselves and others. Recognizing that what we want to do is actually for our, our own well-being and the well-being of others. And recognizing what that actually looks like. Taking it back to my own example of unskillful speech, how might that affect me now, recognizing the mistake that I had made years ago? I can't look at, look at it as only something that happened in the past. I have to look at it as something that exists in me as a potential even now, which means that I have to be very observant in the way I use my words. Because what I don't want that potential to become is a reality. If that seed still exists, it's because years ago it, that another seed just like it sprouted into a plant and then spread more seeds around in the soil as it died off. So it's important then to tend our garden in that way, recognizing that amongst all these great plants that we're growing, these beautiful, wholesome plants, herbs, fruits and vegetables, amongst them are seeds for weeds. And what we don't want are the conditions to be such that those unwholesome seeds, those weeds, end up sprouting. And in my case, I recognize those potentials. And my skillful and right effort comes down to seeing that and making sure that they remain as potentials only. What I want to, my reality to be is to be one skillful consummate in right speech, in speech that is true, in speech that is uh, harmonious, non-divisive, speech that is um, gentle, pleasant, 
that doesn't mean that I can't be honest to the point that there might be hurt feelings, because sometimes hurt feelings is actually the right kind of medicine, but non-harming in that nothing that I say would, um, let's say, influence someone to give into unwholesome mental states, to break precepts, or to give into greed, aversion, and delusion. And when it comes to idle chatter and gossip, recognizing the power of words and what it means to uh, tell stories about others when they're not around, even if those stories are true. So the measure ends up being then to make sure that whatever we say is true and useful and said at the appropriate time and for the appropriate reasons. So in my case, I, looking at the story of these two monks in debate, in argument, in quarrel, and one having committed some type of offense and the other not wanting to pardon them, it's relatable because I know that in my past I have done things that were mistakes, that were some type of fault or lapse, and was not forgiven for having done those things by other people. In that case, it's been important to uh, forgive myself and take the lesson as a lesson and move on. And I bring this up only because I think it is relatable to others as well. This sense of harshness that we might have towards our mistakes that needs to be alleviated because it's not the harshness that's going to do any of the healing. What's going to be healing is the pardoning, the forgiving, and the learning from mistakes. That's what ends up, I think, improving us in this path that we're on. If we're developing these qualities, I think that that's the way it's done. It's with, done with a gentleness and a kindness. But it has to be done in both senses. Recognizing a fault as a fault and rightly pardoning those faults when someone admits to them, even if that someone is ourselves. All right, I think I will end my talk there. Uh, Thank you for listening, those in person and uh, those on Zoom. Are there any questions or comments?